we were to have uh, surveyed you on the way in this morning and said, would you like to make a difference in someone else's life? I think the answer would have been fairly high in the yes category. We generally are wired to say, I'd like to make a difference in someone else's life. I'd like to do something that would encourage, that would help. And if we were to ask the same question, would you like to do something that would help move our church forward? If we all were to do the same thing in the collective energy of moving our church forward, I think generally the answer would be yes. But yet sometimes, even as that, would you like to make a difference in someone's life? Sometimes it's actually hard to know what that looks like. What if I wanted to do something that made a difference, what should I do? And so this morning, I've entitled my message this, one thing, one thing that we all can do, every single one of us, I'm looking around, I think you all can do this, trying to see who the youngest to the oldest is here, everyone can do this. And you can make a difference in doing this in someone else's life. You can be an encouragement to them. And collectively, as we all do this one thing, just one thing, we can help move our church, move, help our church move forward. It creates an energy and a synergy in our collective efforts. One thing, one thing that everyone here can do. Now, you may be wondering what the one thing is. Let me tell you a couple of good possibilities that are not the right answer, but they would be good messages. It's just not my message today. And if you want to do one of these things, it's a bonus. You can go ahead and do them as well. We could say pray. Mark led us through the prayer of the Lord's Prayer. We could say, you know, we could just set aside time every day to pray and seek the Lord and pray for people. And certainly that would be a wonderful answer. We could, I could say this, we could give, you know, give generously, give a percentage, be a tither, and that would be a wonderful and true answer. Our collective giving helps our church move forward in mission, but that's not the one I've chosen. Or I could say this, share Jesus. And if you know me, this is the one you probably thought it was going to be. But you know how deeply passionate I am that we would be people who share the gospel And one thing that we see happening in Canadian Christianity is the gospel never gets shared or shared so so sparingly. And certainly my heart is that if we would each share the good news of Jesus with someone, that would make a difference. And as much as I'd like to preach that message, that is not the message today. So the reason I haven't chosen those three, and they're all good, is some of them would be hard to measure. Some of them we are already doing to a degree, or you may already do. And others, if I was to ask you to do it, you may say, Jeff, I would do it. I just don't know how. I don't have the skill to do it. So the one I've chosen today is easy to measure. It's something that you can add on into your everyday routine, and you already know how to do. So grade six, grade seven, grade nine students, you can do this. All the way through, legacy builders at the other end, you can do this. And so here's my hope and prayer this morning, that we're going to look into Scripture and that the Scriptures come alive to us, that we begin to see something that Jesus teaches in a new way. We begin to see how Jesus values something. And as we see the Scriptures and we see what Jesus values, then we are challenged and open to add on this one action, this one thing that we can do. So I want to show it to you. You've already heard the scripture read. It's Luke 14. Please open your Bibles or turn them on so you can follow along with me. And as you're looking for those, let me just introduce myself. My name is Jeff Bennett. 
have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Harbor and Harbor Online. Welcome to you this morning. And for those of you online that we haven't seen in a while, I just wanted to remind you, we miss you around here and glad to see you this morning. Uh, just join with me in a word of prayer as we begin. Father, uh, your word says that when your word goes out, it does not return empty. It does not return void. And so, God, we pray this morning that your word would accomplish the purposes that you desire. God, that your word would achieve the desires that you have for us as individuals and for us as a church. Amen. So we're in Luke 14. Jesus is at a dinner party, and we're sort of walking through. If you remember last week, everyone was vying for social status, social position, and Jesus tells a parable and reminds them not to push their way forward, but and encourages us towards humility. But now Jesus is going to speak in to the actual thing that's happening. This is a social gathering. People have gathered together to eat food, to be together, to have fun. And Jesus is going to comment on the actual gathering, on what's happened. And he's going to give some instruction there. And so what I have this morning for us is we're going to see four principles that Jesus gives us about social gatherings. Four principles. Really what we'll have is two principles. Then I'll pause and give the one action that I'm asking us all to do. And then two more principles as we end. So social gatherings, two principles, one practice, two more principles. Let me show you the first principle and you'll see it on the screen. Here it is. Jesus changes the way we think about social gatherings. Jesus changes the way we think about social gatherings. Look down to verse 12. I'm only going to read the first little part of it, but you'll see where I saw this. Here's what it says. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner. And I just paused there as I was reading this. He says, when. So when you give a party, when you have people over, when you get together socially, when you have a feast, when you have a banquet, when you get together, it's interesting. Jesus does not look in on this social gathering and say, hey, everyone, you're all wasting your time by getting together, having this food and fun together and celebrating. We need to go out and be on mission and keep sharing the good news. And certainly Jesus was committed to that. There's no sense that he was not on mission. But yet he, he also says to the audience there, when you have a social gathering. It's like he's making disciples and he's saying to all of us, when you have a social gathering, he's assuming that we are getting together. And just think about this for a moment as we look at the picture this gives us of Christianity. So many metaphors we could use for what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a Christian. But as you keep reading down, you're going to see the metaphor that Jesus uses. He says there was a man who had a great banquet. It's a metaphor of what it means to know God. The great banquet. Later on in Revelation, it will be described as the wedding feast of the Lamb. What a wonderful metaphor for following Jesus. It's like being invited to a great banquet. It's like being at an incredible wedding feast where there's lots of food and lots of people and lots of celebrating. Jesus says, that's what Christianity is like. That's what following me is like, a great banquet where we celebrate God's love, we mark his forgiveness, we revel in the cross, and we say, God, this is all you have done for me. 
And you might be here this morning or watching online, and that picture of a great banquet, you've never thought in Christianity in those terms. In fact, you might say, when I think of Christianity, I think of the exact opposite of that. But if you have that picture, would you just take a moment to consider Jesus' picture? When we move into right relationship with God, it's like receiving an invitation to a great banquet. I read this last week as Aristotle, Greek philosopher, described the future. He looked forward to a moment, a day of reason and restraint. When Buddha talked about the future, he talked about the end of desire and our personalities being dissolved. When Jesus talks about the future, something so different, he talks about a day of joy and fun and laughter and community and camaraderie and togetherness. That's the picture he paints. And it's a wonderful reminder for us. This does not diminish that Christianity is serious, that there's a gravity to it, that there's a reverence to it, but those things don't take away the fact that Christianity is also a feast, a banquet, a time of joy and laughter where we gather together. So think of this for a moment. Think of the last time you were with a bunch of people and you just had a lot of fun. You just enjoyed the people and the food and everything. It was just a great time. You were heading home and saying, that was a good night. I had the privilege this summer to be at three different weddings, and each one was so different, and each one was so enjoyable. Those things would be on my list. They were wonderful. So if you think of your time, here's what that was. That was a window of what your eternity will be like. That's a taste of what heaven will be like. The little, the banquet, the feast that you had is representative of what is to come. Together celebrating, enjoying each other, and enjoying Christ. And the principle here is this. Jesus changes the way we think about social gatherings. Your parties matter. Your gatherings matter. Your banquets matter. They are reflective of something greater. When Jesus says, when you have it, there's an assumption that these things have a purpose to them. Some of you are preparing a Thanksgiving feast at your home, and you had no idea how spiritual you are being in preparing that. Right? You're doing something that's going to be representative of what is to come. You're like, wow, I was obeying Jesus this week, and I did not even know it. For others of you, just think about the spaces that you inhabit right? Your cafeteria at school, your dorm room, your apartment, your residence, your place, wherever it is, Jesus is saying, when you gather people there, when you sit at a table at Starbucks, that's representative. It has purpose. When you get together and have those moments, they're reflective of what is to come. I'm going to show you a picture on the side screen, some hospitality that our family received last year from Joel and Andrew Dick. And you see the picture there. And uh, this is almost the entirety of their apartment. We crammed in there. There's a bed just right behind where my son is taking the picture. If one of us had to go to the bathroom, we all had to get up and shift places for someone to get to the bathroom. And then when we got there, we realized there was no curtain on the window. And we just hoped there was no workers working late in the office building next door, looking in. That, and then the reason I show this is not to, again, we receive as a family so much great hospitality, and we're so blessed by that. But the reason I show this is because Joel and Andrew would have had every reason not to be hospitable. 
every reason not to share their space because it's small. There's no curtain in the bathroom. There was lots of reasons, but yet they had us over as a family and we had a delightful time, mostly because it was so fun and so different and we just appreciated their heart. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. He wants us to think differently about our social gatherings. He's saying they matter no matter where they are. When you invite people in, it's significant. So that's the first principle. Jesus changes the way we think about our gatherings. Here's the second principle. Jesus changes the way we hold our social gatherings. Let me just keep reading. Follow along in your Bibles. He says, when you host a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. So if you're hosting a Thanksgiving dinner uh, planned for next week, you can just pull out your phone now and text your family and say, hey, sorry, I'm trying to obey Jesus. You're out for Thanksgiving dinner, right? Like, sorry, I can't have you. You know, I just need to follow Jesus and I'm all in. And if they text you back and say, okay, that's a little bit weird. What about Christmas or Easter? You can just text them back and say, hey, message is not done. But right now it's not looking good for you either for those holidays there. Now, we know that's not what Jesus is saying, right? We know that's not what he is. But what, what is he saying here? So two questions. Why did he say this? And then who is he talking about? And then that will help us understand. Why did he say it? And who is he talking about? Look down right in the middle there. And you could underline this. He says, do not invite your rich neighbors because then they may invite you back and you'll be repaid. Here's what was happening. They were using parties and invitations as social currency almost like as a barter system. So let's say you were a middle-class person and you've got this rich neighbor down the street. You're like, I'm going to invite him to my party. And then everyone's going to say, wow, look at you. Who came to your party? You must be something special. So that was part of it. But then, because in an honor-shame culture, you know your rich neighbor is going to have to invite you back and you really want to go to his party. Several reasons. One is he's richer than you, so you're going to get a better meal out of it. You're like, I'd really like to go to that party. And then also he's going to be there with all his rich friends. And then you can say to your friends, look, I just moved up a level. Look at me, I'm making all these contacts. Look at me, I'm in a whole new environment. That's how they were using hospitality. They were really, when they invited someone, it was really to get something out of them. And so that helps us understand the who Jesus lists. Four people, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. We'll see these same four descriptors come later. But what they represent is people in that culture who could never pay back. Jesus, you know, he's making a contrast. You've got your rich neighbors, but now you've got people who would never be able to pay anything back. So we put that together with this. We know Jesus loved his family. We know he ate meals with friends. Think of the Last Supper. We just marked, you know, the Last Communion, the Supper together. There was Jesus with his 12 disciples. In that sense, you know, he was doing that. He wasn't being hypocritical. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, when you have a gathering, don't just only invite friends and family and rich neighbors. Go beyond that. Do more. Invite those who may not be able to return the favor. Here's the quote I read this week. The best hospitality is that which is given, not exchanged. 
The best hospitality is that which is given, not exchanged. And so Jesus is changing the way we hold social gatherings. And he's speaking into who we invite. And he's saying, don't forget. Don't forget to include others. Don't forget to include those who you maybe naturally wouldn't. Don't forget to include those who could not pay you back. And so we could just pause here and have you know, a little moment of self-reflection. Here's the question. When was the last time that you did something for someone who was not in a position to do something for you? When was the last time you invited someone in who was not in a position to invite you back? When was the last time you welcomed someone, embraced someone, helped someone who was not in a position to return the favor? So that's the principle. Jesus wants to change how we hold our social gatherings. But here's then the one practice, my one request, the one thing that I'd like us all to do over the next four weeks that I believe we all can do. Here's how I've worded it. The one thing, share your space with someone new. Share your space with someone new, whatever your space is, and would you just invite someone new into that? And treat this new person, treat this new person, in fact, the word hospitality in the New Testament really means love of strangers. So treat this new person like you would treat your family like you would treat a friend, like you might treat a rich neighbor. Share your space with one person, with one new person. Invite them in and treat them like family. Let me give some different ways that you could maybe live this out. And Harbor, we do so well at this, and I thank you for it. And I just want to continue to emphasize it when we come on Sundays greeting one another, loving each other, welcoming each other, coming with the heart and mind of who could I connect with. I love hearing ongoing stories of people who have come for the first time and been invited out for dinner, been invited back to someone's house. I love hearing the stories of people saying, I'm praying about where I'm going to sit when I come in the auditorium. Because where I sit may influence who I meet and who I could welcome and it could influence a new person I could invite into my space. As you would think about where you spend your time during the week, in your home, in your apartment, in your school, in your workplace, in your room, in your residence, wherever it is, would you pay attention? Who are the unnoticed people? Who might be that person that could need a little more kindness? Who might be the person you could include and invite? Think of your weekday space and how could you share your space with someone new there? And then lastly, of your home environment, wherever you live, how might you, even for Thanksgiving, is there one person that you could add on? Could you use your home to host a group? Could you have people back for dessert? And especially if you're thinking about people, students is such a wonderful place. You saw the video. Students who are not going home for Thanksgiving or international students who aren't able to, a tremendous opportunity to love and invite someone new into your space. Let me also say this, the longer you have lived in Niagara, the harder this can be to see. Because you know the longer you've lived here, the longer you've been around, your list of people that you want to connect with and don't have time to connect with, or want to catch up with and don't have time to catch up with, your list just keeps growing. If I was to say to you, list how many people you already know that you want to get together, the list is long. And the longer you've been here, the more you just see that list and you forget the principle 
that Jesus was talking about. How can I include someone new into my space? We're in this series called Making Disciples. And Jesus started off as he began this teaching by saying these words of what it means to be his disciple. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. It's like Jesus would have said to all his disciples, here's what it means. To, it means to sacrifice. It means to die daily. It means to follow me. And we are reminded that Jesus is worth our lives. And so we say, as we mark that, here's the action. Might we open up our space, share our space with one person, with someone new. And as Harbor, as we long that the gospel might multiply out, as our work of sharing the gospel might multiply out across Niagara and across Ontario and across Canada as God would allow opportunity. Here's what, where the gospel multiplies, people are sharing their lives. They go together. Our heart to see the gospel spread and our heart to share each other's lives, work together, work together. Sharing our lives promotes the sharing of the gospel. So two principles. Jesus changes the way we view social gatherings. They matter. Jesus changes the way we hold them. Who are we inviting? And then one practice, share your space with someone new. But let me also show you two other principles he gives. Look down to the next verse, verse 14. Here's the principle. Jesus changes what we receive from social gatherings. Jesus changes what we receive. Here's what verse 14 reads. If you do these things, you will be blessed, period. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of of the righteous. So Jesus now is talking about what we receive as we obey him in social gatherings. Really two things there. The second one is first. He talks about being repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus just assumes it, but I'll comment on it for a moment. What he's looking forward to is a moment where all who are in Christ are resurrected, are resurrected from the grave. All who are in Christ come out of the grave. Just as Christ was resurrected from the dead and came out with a new resurrection body, Jesus is saying all who are in Christ are going to one day come out of the grave. That should be wonderfully encouraging. It has nothing to do with the message, but this, your death, our death is not the end. There is a future. But then Jesus says in that moment, something's going to happen. You will be repaid. Think of it in these terms, grade nine students. Let's say you decide, okay, I'm going to try this. I listened on Sunday. I can do this. I'm going to invite someone into my space. So you go to school this week. You see someone sitting alone at a table and you're with your friends and you go over to the person. You say, hey, come and join us at our table. And the person says to you, no, thanks. I'd rather be by myself than with you. you know, not a great moment in your high school career. And you say, you know, was that worth it? You know the loss of that. We would all be discouraged by that moment, the pain of that, the hurt of that, the rejection of that. Is that a loss? Have you just lost it? Well, here's what Jesus is teaching us. At the resurrection of the righteous, there's like this little hospitality component. Jesus is actually taking notes. He's actually tracking these things. Because he says, any loss that you incurred for me, you will be repaid for. So we might say it this way. There might be some short-term loss, but there is only long-term gain in following Christ. That's what Jesus is laying out here. Any loss, and I just said to follow Jesus means to die daily, to sacrifice. Well, Jesus is saying anything you might see as dying and as a sacrifice, one day it will all be worth it because he will repay it all. 
And let me just pause and move up a level, not just on hospitality, but for some of you here, you just need to hear this this morning. You've had a hard week, a hard month, a hard year, and you're just feeling, I've been following Jesus, and there's just loss after loss after loss. And you're like, is it really worth it? Well, here's the comfort. Here's the encouragement to anyone that's weary today. Jesus says, I'm watching. I'm marking it. And one day you will be repaid for all. There's no ever any loss in following Christ. One day he brings it all together for us. So that's the first thing he says. What did we receive? One day repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. But then he says a second thing. It's the first sentence, and you will be blessed. I think it's actually two things. They, they weave together, you will be blessed and you will be repaid. One, they both could be future, but I think one is present as well. We are blessed when we welcome the stranger, when we invite new people in. You'll see on the screen a quote from Rosaria Butterfield. Here's how she describes this. Radical, ordinary hospitality is this using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and the neighbors family of God. That's how she describes this. And here's what happens. When we decide to invite someone new in, when we welcome someone new and treat them like they are a friend, treat them like they are part of a family, our family, here's what sometimes happens. That person actually becomes a friend. They actually become like part of our family. And the blessing as we invite people in is that we receive a new friend, a new family member. There's a 1987 movie called Babette's Feast. It's English subtitles only. And Babette lives with this small little religious community who's very serious. And then one day she, and she's just there serving. She had fled for her life. And one day she wins the Paris lottery. And she says that let me, she asks to cook a feast to thank this religious community for their generosity in letting her be there. And uh, so she's cooking this feast, but this religious community is very ingrown. There's only about 10 or 12 of them in the movie, and they're all bitter and fighting with each other and very serious, and you see all the problems they have. But then, and when they come to the feast, they're actually in a little bit of a bad mood, and they're a little bit resistant to even taking the offer of this huge feast. But as they come, and after course after course comes out, they, they start to eat this food, and it is so good, and the, the scenes shift to Babette in the kitchen, and all she's doing to create this feast, and it switches out to the dinner table where they're slowly enjoying and warming up to what God is doing. And what the movie paints such a wonderful picture of is how this gracious, generous, feast begins to change the hearts of the people around the table. And suddenly they become open. Suddenly joy and laughter begins to fill them. Suddenly there's reconciliation and there's love and there's togetherness. And as they experience this gracious gift from Babette, this community is transformed. It's a wonderful picture of what Christ does for us. As we gather together as hosts, as we give graciously to those we welcome in, how God works in those moments and brings friendship and brings family together. So that's our third principle. Jesus changes what we receive from social gatherings. 
One last principle where Jesus now is going to move from the horizontal to the vertical. He's going to say, now I've taught you about how to relate to other people, but let me show you the ultimate spiritual principle here. And we know Jesus does that all the time. Here's the fourth idea. Jesus changes our motivation for social gatherings. And you heard the whole rest of the story read, right? Jesus says this about hospitality, and then he tells a story about a great banquet. And the, the owner, and it's a picture of God, welcoming people into his great banquet. The catch in the story there, the early part, is that people had RSVP'd to come to the great banquet. The, 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 the man had said, hey, I'm preparing the food. They said, okay, great, we'll be there. So he says, okay, let me prepare the food. And then when it's time, you come. But then when it's time for them to come, after they'd RSVP'd, then they don't come and they give these lame, rude excuses. Here's what this would be like. On the morning of a, of a wedding... You text the bride and groom, and you know they've got a 300-plate dinner waiting for you at the reception. And you text the bride and groom on the morning of the wedding after you've already RSVP'd, and you say, hey, we've got this coupon to McDonald's for the Big Mac, you know, two-for-one deal. We think we're going to use that instead of the wedding feast, right? It's a lame excuse. It's a rude excuse, and that's what happens in the story. And so the landowner says, who's got this great banquet prepared, he says, go out and find people to bring in. Go out and find others. And so they go out. Do you notice the description? Same as who Jesus said to invite over. The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Go out and find those people and invite them in. And so they go and they do that. And then they say, there's still room. Well, there's always still room at God's banquet. So then he says, go out. There's a third group of people. First is the ones who reject. They're like the religious people. Second, the, the category, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. But now there's this third category. You'll see it on the screen, what Jesus says in the story. Go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be made full. These people are really far from the, from the banquet. They're like really gone. And they've got to be convinced to come in. They've got to be compelled to come in. So servants are going out saying, hey, we got this great banquet for you. And they're like, no, there's no way this could be for me. It sounds too good to be true. And the servants are like, no, it really is this good. Just come in and experience the great banquet. It's great joy. And then maybe someone out there says, but I'm not really dressed. You know, I'm not ready. I haven't cleaned up my life. And they're like, no, no, just come as you are. It's a wonderful banquet. Come and receive the great banquet. It's all given for free. And they're out there compelling people because they just cannot believe how good it is. And that's why the servants are convincing them to come in. So three categories of people. The religious people who reject. The middle category, the one Jesus has talked about twice. And then the bottom category. The ones that are really far gone that need to be compelled to come in. Here's the question. Who are you in the story? Who are you in the story? Well, you see, if you're honest with yourself, we're all the same person in the story. We're all that third category. We're all the ones that were really far from God. Some of us because of our sin, some of us because of our self-righteousness and pride, but we were all so far from God. But yet God sends someone. He sends multiple people. Some of you are like, God spent 10 years compelling me to come to his great banquet and I rejected every time. But finally I came and it was the best decision I ever made. Many of you have this exact story. You know of God compelling you to come in and how resistant you were. And even now in your heart, you're like, oh, I was so far out in those country lanes, but God, you were so good. 
You know, this week we were out knocking on doors. We knocked on a door, no one was home, or no one answered the door. We went to the next home, no one was answered, and then someone came out of the house we had been in before. He, he was trying to avoid us. So we came out on the front lawn. My partner did all the talking. My partner said, hey, could we pray for you? The gentleman we met, he said this. He said, people from my country and my ethnic group do not pray. Not interested. My partner, well said. He said, well, I know some people from your country, and I know they pray. He said, well said. Well said. Touche. He said, but I'm not interested in prayer. I'm just not interested in this. But, but he was so friendly. Then my partner wisely said, hey, could we just tell you the story of how Jesus comes near? Can we just draw this little diagram and tell you the story of how Jesus comes here? And then he declined that offer as well. But he said, you know, I know this story. I know what you're going to tell me because I have a friend from his country and his people group who's always telling me that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and all he did for me on the cross. And then he said, she's told me that, but now she sends me these little papers. They're small. They're folded in half with a little story on it that I can read. We were like, oh yes, those are called gospel tracts. We were familiar with them. He had no idea it was a thing. But he says, I've got these tracts. And I said, but he said, no, I'm not interested. And we tried, we were friendly and we walked away. But let me tell you, we left that encounter so encouraged so encouraged. Here's why. Not because of his response, but here's what we left encouraged by is that God is after him, right? <laughs> God is compelling him to come in. He can't get away, right? He's met a friend. She's praying for him. She's sending little tracks in the mail to him so he can read about Jesus. He knew the gospel pretty well. And then he's still not listening. So then he sends two strangers to his door, right? And then he ignores the door knock, but then he's got to come out and there we are to pounce on him, right? Right? We were so encouraged. We're like, God, we're being used of you, right? One day, he may tell the story. He said, I was so far from God. But he, he even sent two strangers to my door to bother me about Christianity. That's what God does. Many of you know that exact story. You're seeing it in hindsight now. You're like, oh, God did all of those things for me. And so if you're here today, and you would just recognize that either because of your pride or your sinfulness, you're, you're that person that's far from God. And you know, even the reason you're here, even the, know, the reason you're watching is because you know that God is calling you to come to him. Why don't you come? Just come and receive. Enter the great banquet. Accept his invitation. It's all for free. He gives his forgiveness. He gives his new life. He gives eternity. Why wouldn't you come and just accept what he offers? So come today. That's my heart. But yet, as we think of it in those terms... This also is motivation in this for us. As you think of yourself in that bottom category. Last week, we had volunteer appreciation. And Mark had four volunteers on the stage. And I thought he asked them a very hard question. Why do you volunteer? That's a dangerous question. But, and they could have said things like this. They could have said, I volunteer because I need community service hours. You know, I volunteer because I got some free time and I just want to fill it up. I volunteer because I want to be fulfilled. I want to learn and grow. And all of those would have been wonderfully true answers and nothing wrong with them. But every single volunteer, you can go back and watch it online. I was so encouraged. All four of them said, I volunteer because Christ has served me. And so I want to serve other people. Every single one of them said it differently, but it was all the same. It was all a cross-centered, cross gospel-centered answer. God has done something for me. And so therefore, I want to do it for someone else. And so here's the motivation. We see ourselves as this bottom group. 
right? God had to go out and work really hard to bring us in, compel us to come in. We were far gone, but he gives us this great banquet, and he doesn't just invite us in. He adopts us into his family. Think of how good that is. He compels us in. He adopts us into his family. We're in this bottom group, but now as we experience that, what Jesus says is just come up to this middle group, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, someone new, and just do for them what God has already done for you. See, that's the motivation. As we see what Christ has done for us, we are compelled to want to go out and offer the same grace to other people. That's what motivates us. That's the motivation for welcoming one new person into your space over the next month. Would you bow your heads? Let's just have a moment of thought and reflection and prayer. Who are you in that story? Do you see yourself there as that third group far from God and you see all that he did to bring you into him? Would you just take a moment and worship him now for his grace, for him seeking you out and finding you, inviting you to his great banquet? Just worship him for what he's done for you. And if you've never come to the great banquet and you know Christ is after you, he's searching you out, Oh, why wouldn't this morning you just say, Jesus, I come. I receive all that you want to offer. Wouldn't you come to Christ this morning? And then as we think about the one takeaway for today, that we would share our space with someone new. For many of you, you know exactly who the Lord has put on your heart. You, you know the person, name and face. And for them, would you pray for them? Would you pray for them that God's love might shine through you towards them. And then for others, you don't have a name just yet, but you're praying, God, give me eyes to see. Help me lift up my eyes and look and see where you may, you may be at work in the spaces I encounter. Saying, God, give me eyes to see and give me courage and help to invite someone into that space. So Father, today we mark, oh, the great banquet. Thank you. Thank you for bringing us in. God, we are full, our hearts are full for your grace towards us, your undeserving grace, your adoption into your family. And God, as we know that more, may you help us to go and to spread that to others. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. And uh, we will go out with this scripture. Since we're in, um, in the series of Making Disciples, I thought this was a good scripture to end with for the duration of this series. It's Paul in Romans 12. Here's what he says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Harbor, we are sent.